Good evening. We uh, welcome to Rim Rock Downtown. I'm really glad you guys made it out tonight. We have more empty seats than normal tonight, so uh, but that's okay. I hope it's not the new series that we're jumping into that's scaring people off. But you know, uh, it's gonna be fun. I'm really excited about this new series. Uh, that we're jumping into. My name is Chris. I'm one of the teaching pastors uh, down here at Rimrock Downtown, um, along with Evan and Ben and Boomer at times. Um, and so we had just got done uh, here at Downtown Rimrock with a series called We Are the Church, um, talking about how we as, as, as people, as followers of Jesus, can be the church to the world. Um, and so uh, as we jump into a new series, um, I thought it was it was fitting and it was kind of in the same direction of looking at this idea of God's justice and God's heart behind His justice, and um, and it because as we as we see God's heart and as we see God's justice, it will it will move us into reaching out into the world and reaching out to be the church to the world. And so um, I gotta be honest, you guys. Uh, Jumping into this series and this topic like this um, was a little scary. Uh, I felt like a little kid jumping into like the deep end of the theological pool right here because it's deep stuff. It's it's complex. It's 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 a lot of stuff. Um, and this this word justice comes with such a, a deep, rich meaning into it. And so um, here's what I'll tell you. Um, I know that we are only going to scratch the surface. I know that we are not going to get into everything that God has for us in his word on justice and his justice. Um, but here's my hope that I have a hope and a guarantee. Okay, Here's my hope is that you will walk away uh, from tonight and after the next seven weeks with a better understanding of God's justice and his heart behind his justice uh, but here's my guarantee. I guarantee you will walk away with a lot of questions and a lot more questions, okay? Um, it's not my job to answer all your questions. It's my job to spur you to go seek out answers for yourself. And so my encouragement is to take what we say here uh, from up front and to take it home with you. And over long cups of coffee and long cups of tea, and maybe even even better with friends, to explore and discover more about what we're talking about here with God's justice. And, and here's the walk away that the big picture that I want us to walk away with um, after this series is that we would have a better understanding of justice and God's heart for justice. And that will help us to move forward into loving him, loving others, and ultimately being the church. Um, so, as we begin, we're just going to define justice first off. That's the first thing I want to do tonight is define justice and build a framework around what justice means, what justice looks like from a biblical perspective. Now, commonly... Uh, there are a lot of common perceptions and common um, thoughts that, that our mind goes to when we hear the word justice. 
And their common perceptions, they're not misperceptions, they're not wrong in and of themselves, but they're common perceptions that we tend to just gravitate towards immediately when we hear it. The, the most common one is just the, this punishment concept, that justice is this punishment for wrongdoing, right? We think of our judicial system as this is where justice is, uh, is given, right? And so someone breaks the law, and they get caught, and they go to the court, and they have justice, right? They, they, they get punished for, or they, they pay a consequence for what they've done, right? And so that's part of, of where people, most people go, and that's part of it, but then a lot of people might go to um, welfare and maximizing welfare, and justice is seeking the welfare of others and helping those who can't help themselves, right? Um, or some people might go to justice as the respect for freedom and making sure we all have, have our freedom, you know? The idea of don't tell me what to do, don't tread on me, you know? Those type of phrases that we hear in America especially, that it's respecting our freedom, right? Or maybe it's just promoting a moral virtue, right? That justice will happen when people behave the way they ought. Right? If we can move people to behave the way they ought and in a certain way, we'll have justice. And like I said, there's, there's not anything wrong with any of those. But the problem is that we take one of those and we just attach to it, right? And we attach our perception of justice with, it, with this lens to God and, and his justice. But justice in the, in the Bible is way more complex than any one of these things. It's way deeper than any one of these things. It actually, justice, in God's justice in the Bible, it actually unifies all of those together. And even more, but it unifies it to, in order to point to something deeper. In order to point to God's heart behind everything. So let's look at justice in the Bible. Okay? And the word justice in the Bible is, is the Hebrew word, I have it up here. It's the Hebrew word mishpat. Okay, we need to get that up. There we go. Got it. The Hebrew word mishpat. Can you guys say that with me? Mishpat. Okay? It's a fun word to say. Okay? So that's the Hebrew word, and we find this word mishpat in the Old Testament over 400 times, which speaks to how significant this word is in, in telling us something about God's overall story. To have a word come up that many times is speaking to us, and it's significant in what God's trying to tell us. And this word mishpat, it can kind of be broken into to two different aspects, right? And it's the, the, the first aspect is the retributive justice, right? That's kind of like what we were talking about earlier. It's punishing wrongdoers. It's retribution, retributive justice. And so um, we have this, we, like I said, in our judicial system, we seek justice in the court of law, and it's this retributive justice. But also in the Old Testament, and even more so. So a lot of our minds go to this retributive justice, this punishment, right? But even more than that, Mishpah is found referring to restorative justice. <coughs> restorative justice. And this is the justice that... that talks about caring and standing up for, for victims of uh, unjust treatment, for victims of injustice. And it's, it's, um, 
It's where we find passages like Proverbs that speaks about justice when it says, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and the needy. And we see in that God's heart for justice and for restorative justice, right? So we see that justice includes not only the, the righting of wrongs, making a wrong right, but it includes generosity and social concern. So we need to know that God's heart is to, to be generous to others, to have social concern to others, especially the poor, the vulnerable, those who have been taken advantage of, right? And this is God's heart. However, um, whichever way you look at it, whether it's retributive justice or restorative justice, here's the, the kind of underlying truth or underlying um, thing that you see in each of them. That justice is tied to this sense of right and wrong. What's right and what's wrong is tied to this standard to live by, right? And so, if I, if I go up to, I'll just, I'll just pick uh, Josh over here, right? If I go up to Josh, and I just, like, rear up to smack him in the face, and I just whack, just smack him in the face, everybody in this room, one, well, it's going to be really awkward, okay? But everybody in this room is going to cry out for mishpah, right? For justice. For, for that, because what I've done to, to Josh is just... Not right, right? Even more so, I don't know who Carrie is, but if I came up to Carrie, <laughs> reared up, I would not only get the crowd, but I'd get Josh up in my business demanding Mishpah, right? And so, this is the desire for Mishpah is in us for, for something that's, uh, when something happens that's just not right. And something in us stirs when something is not right. I guarantee you, if I were to just smack Josh, or even smack Carrie even more so, there's something that would stir us. That's, that's just not right. And it just stirs in us, and it points us to something. And it's why the word mishpat in the scriptures is so often found next to another word. And this other word is, this is another fun word to say, sedekah, right? Sedekah, which means righteousness. And these two words are found together more often than any other two words in the Bible. And there's a reason, because they're so closely tied together. They're so close, they're almost interchangeable sometimes. Okay? Mishpat and sedekah. And so I'm going to speak a little bit about Sedekah and explain righteousness. Now, righteousness is this really churchy word that we hear a lot in church. We don't really use it that much in our everyday life, you know, um, except like if you're like a surfer or something, you're righteous, you know. Um, but we don't use it really that much in our everyday life. Most people, when they think of righteous, think of some moral behavior, moral good, that if you're a good person, 
you're righteous, you know, if you don't drink, if you don't chew, if you don't go with people who do, you know, like that kind of stuff. If you do certain things, if you're a good person, then you're righteous. Well, the reality of Sedekah is, is so much deeper than that. It's not just being a good person. It's this actual, it's, a, it's an ethical standard of right relationships between people. And it has to do with my relationship with Josh, my relationship with Aaron, my relationship with my wife, my relationship with others. Our relationships has to do with that. And so we can, we can have all this outward appearance of being good people. We could go on um, not smoking, not drinking, not chewing, not doing all these things that we think are bad, right? Quote, unquote, bad, right? We can go on not doing those things, yet violate Sedekah, the ethical standard. We can hate our brother in our hearts, right? That's why Jesus talks about if you hate someone in your heart, you might as well murder them. Because it's not about the outward being good. It's this ethical standard between you and another person, between relationships. So I, I love this verse in, um, in Amos that talks about this. And this is Amos speaking on the Lord's behalf. He says, and the Lord says through Amos, he says, I hate I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the, mel to the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice, let mishpat roll down like waters, and Sedekah, righteousness, like ever-flowing streams. You know, we can do a lot of good things. We can outwardly show that we are really good people. While we have no regard for having justice and, and doing justice for others. And so... Um, mishpat, sedekah, is this idea of restoring relationships back to what is right. Um, in Jeremiah, it says this. Jeremiah says this. Thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness. Do mishpat and sedekah and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. And do no wrong or violence to the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place. Doing justice, doing righteousness, is caring for the other, is not wronging the other. It's a right relationship between you and another person. And so, like I said, and this is kind of the theme of this series that I want us to get want to get across. And if we get anything out of this, I want us to hear this, that Mishpat, Sedekah, is restoring relationship back to what is right. And so if Sedekah is the standard of right relationships, okay, 
righteousness is the standard of right relationship, then mishpat, justice, is the movement back to tzedakah. It's the movement back to what is right. If this helps you, it helped me. Um, it's a word picture that if righteousness is a road, and it's a good road, and it's a straight road, and it's the road that we were made to drive on that will get us to the good life and to the place that we need to be. If righteousness is the road, then the ditch is injustice. The ditch is injustice. And so if righteousness is the road and the ditch is injustice, then justice is the movement back onto the road. <clears throat> Think about it that way. Justice is a movement back on to the road of what is right and what is good. This reminds me of um, several years ago, I was taking a trip uh, with a bunch of teenagers to one of our Young Life camps in British Columbia, Canada. Um, by a bunch of teenagers, I mean 225 teenagers on five buses driving across the country to go across the border to Canada, okay? And so we are driving, and it is about 4 o'clock in the morning, and I'm on the lead bus. I'm on the first bus. There's four buses behind us. And 4 o'clock in the morning, we are all, like, dead asleep. And we're, we're about five miles from the border. And we're, I'm, I'm like half as asleep you can, as you can be on a bus, you know? And I'm like, you know, head on the cold windshield. And all of a sudden, I wake up to this. And I'm like sideways in this bus. And I realize that we are in a ditch on two wheels, mowing over saplings and trees and everything. And all of a sudden, it, come, it keeps going, rah, 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 and we keep going, we correct, correct, and all of a sudden, boom, boom, and we get back on the road. By God's mercy and grace, we get back on the road. And in those moments, I was crying out for Mishpat <laughs> so that we could get back to Sedekah. Right? Righteousness is this road. Justice is getting back on that. And so with this mishpat and sedekah, there's this assumption that comes. There's this assumption that there is a standard for right and wrong. There is a right. There is a road to be on. And there is a ditch. Okay? And so where does this come from? Where does it come from telling us how we are to live and why we are to live that way? So tonight, I want to spend the rest of our time looking at this. Where does this come from, this, this sense of, of need, a need for justice, a need to get back to what's right? What is pointing us to what is right? In order to do that, we need to go back to the beginning, to page one of the Bible, where we see how and why we were created. Okay? So we're going back to the beginning. And if you got your Bibles, you can turn them on or turn, open them up and, uh, and read with me. And the sense of right, the sense 
of, of getting back to what's right comes from the way that we were created, how we were created, and why we were created. And in Genesis 1, verse 27, it says this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. When God created everything, he created it good, he created it perfect, and he created it right. <coughs> and he didn't just make up and say, um, here's my creation and um, I'm going to make this good. He created things good because he is good. He didn't just decide what was good and what was bad. He created things out of who he was. Right? And so he created everything. Everything that he created was good and was perfect. So he created us in his perfect design. And he created us to live by this perfect design because it was just out of who he is. So if we're created in this perfect design and created to live by this perfect design, then what happens? What happens when creation operates outside of its perfect design, outside of its intended design? Well, we can first look at just simply nature and creation outside of us and the natural law. And what happens when gravity begins to operate outside of the way it's designed. We either go like flying in the air or be, you know, just like sucked into the ground. I don't know. But what happens with gravity? What happens when the Earth's rotation or the angle of the Earth that is set on the axis deviates from its original design? But I mean, did you guys know that the Earth and the tilt on the axis, if it was two degrees off, this Earth would either just freeze or burn up. Two degrees off. And if it operates out of its intended design, we're destroyed. The distance that this Earth is from the sun, even, if it's any closer or any further, we burn or freeze. And if it operates outside of God's perfect intended design, it wreaks chaos, death, disaster, and disorder. So just logically speaking, when creation operates outside of its intended design, it ends in disaster. It is not good. And so it is with humans. So it is with us. So it is with the image of God. That humans, the image of God, when we operate outside of God's intended design, it ends in disaster. It ends in pain and suffering and hurt. But here's the, the uniqueness of, of, of God's creation in us. right? Here's the uniqueness of God's creation of, of man and woman. That justice and injustice is a unique thing to us. It is a unique thing to the image of God. You think about it. The animal kingdom, there's no sense of justice or injustice. A praying mantis can just go eat his young, and it doesn't have, it thinks nothing of it. 
A panda can just abandon one of her cubs and take care of the other one with no regard. A lion can just go eat its prey with no consequence and no regard for is that just or is that unjust. There's no sense of justice outside of any other, in any other creation besides the image of God and us. Okay, so we are unique in that. That when we live outside of design, not only is there chaos and death and disaster and disorder, but there's injustice. And we call it injustice because we realize that we deviated from what's right. And think about it, every social issue known today and throughout all of history is, is considered injustice. It's considered us operating outside of what is right. So we see social issues pop up. We say this is injustice. Here's another difference that distinguishes us from the rest of creation. Okay? One, we, we just have the concept of justice and injustice. But two, humans have the will to decide whether to live outside or inside their design. Humans have the will to decide. We have the ability to choose. In uh, Genesis 2, a little bit further down in verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every good tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God gives man a will, the ability to choose. He says, when you do that, when you choose that other way, that other design, that you will surely die because you choose to live outside of what you were designed to live for. Right? Of the way that you were designed to live. It's just a natural consequence. When we live outside of our design. I liken it to this. It's like putting, um, trying to put apple juice in your gas tank. Right? It just, it doesn't work. And if you do, it'll ruin your car. Right? Apple juice does not go in a gas tank. Gasoline goes in a gas tank. When you try to operate a vehicle outside of its design, you will break it. You will destroy it. It will end in disaster. And so, we have the will to choose, and the truth is that we have all chosen to live outside of our design. We have all chosen our own way. We have all chosen to define what's good. We have all chosen to operate in a different design than God intended us to live. And that's why Paul says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For all have operated out of their own in their own design, not my design, and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we experience this death. We experience this destruction. And 
I want to look at tonight also what this looks like practically, what this looks like in reality when we live outside of God's perfect design. And it doesn't take us long to get there from where we're at. It's only one chapter over. In Genesis 3, we see the first humans choosing a different design. And when we see this, I know it can often seem, you know, just far away and fictitious. And, and we, we, we look at it and we think, like, just, oh, yeah, that's that story of the, the snake in the garden and the two people and the, the apple and all that stuff. And it can, it can seem hard to make applicable to our lives. But I want to show you that when we look at this, we see the beginning of a pattern. We see the beginning of a pattern of people choosing their own way, defining good and evil for themselves, and suffering the consequence. This is the pattern that we see human after human after human after human throughout all of history up until Jesus, who breaks the pattern. And then human after human after human after human, we see the pattern until it gets to us. And we can see this pattern in our own lives. We can see us choosing our own way. Defining what's good and evil for ourselves. And suffering the consequences. As we read, scholars might call this, um, some scholars do call this the three deaths of Genesis 3. And so I'm going to walk us through Genesis 3 and point out the three deaths. Now when we choose our own way, when we live outside of our design, when we get into the ditch, this is what we experience. And so at the end of chapter 2, Adam and Eve are in the garden. And, and there's a right at the end it says, And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. And that's important to note as we step into chapter 3. They're both naked, and they were not ashamed. There was no shame in them. Right? And so all of a sudden we see Eve, Adam and Eve are in this garden. And there's a voice speaking to them. And it's the voice of lies. It's the voice of temptation. It's the voice of death speaking to them and trying to convince them that, that the way they were designed was not good enough. That the way they were created was not good enough. That they needed something else. That they needed something more. And so here we see Eve battling with this voice. And it says in, in chapter 3, verse 4, it says, But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to her eyes, and that the tree was, was uh, to be desired and to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. First death of Genesis 3 is relational death. You notice that? First they were naked and not ashamed. And now they see each other and they're ashamed. They're ashamed. They realize that they're naked. They start to hide themselves from each other. And there's this relational death that happens. 
And I think if we're honest, we see relational death in our own lives. We see shame. We see guilt. We see hiding from each other. Not letting our true selves be known for fear of what we'll find or what others will see. So we have this relational death. And then it keeps going. And it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees uh, of the garden. But the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, so I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded? Who told you? Have you chosen to live outside of the design that you were created to live? And all of a sudden, because of that, he's afraid. He hides from God. There's a spiritual death that happens. There's a, a hiding from God, a separation from God. That relationship that they had walking together in the garden was broken. It was severed. And so there's the relational death and the spiritual death. And all of a sudden, well, we see a little bit more relational death in the next two verses when it says, The man said, uh, the man said, the woman whom you gave me to be with, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. You see that? We start to blame each other. We start to point at each other and find fault in each other. And we try to get out and squirm our way out of why it's our fault why we deserve what we're getting. And we try to squeeze out of it. And we see a little bit more of this relational death. And then comes the physical death. Now, we all know in this story from Scripture that, that Adam and Eve didn't just drop dead like that. Right? In fact, they lived over 900 years after this. But, what kind of physical death did they experience through that? And it continues to say, To the woman, God said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. You desire, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, not the voice of my voice, the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till, the re till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. There will be death. There will be death. But before that, there will be pain. And there will be suffering. And there will be destruction. And there will be injustice. And you will not treat each other the way you were designed and the way that you were created to treat each other. 
And you will find hardship in that. There will be pain and sweat and relational tension and separation from life and a return to the dust. Can you see your own death here? Can you see your own life here? Can you see your own relationships with others? Can you see your own relationship with God in this? Can you see the effects and the consequences of living outside the design that God created us for in your own life? Life in the ditch. Life of consequence, of injustice, of separation from God and His design. And the truth is that God's not being mean here. God's not being mean when we experience these things. It's just logic. It's just the logic of imperfection cannot coexist with perfection. You cannot be in the ditch and on the road at the same time. It's logic. If you're not on the road, you're going through the ditch sideways, hitting saplings, destroying yourself and others around you. And so we see this, this truth, this logic, that there's, there is a right way and we are in the ditch. And this is the call for justice and righteousness. And it is an echo of Jesus' words in Matthew, in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, when he says, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And again, right before that, he says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never, never enter the kingdom of God. Jesus is calling for justice and righteousness. He's calling for us to be restored back to the road, back to the design, back to what is perfect and righteous. But the hard part is that this standard, this, this road that God designed us to live for, it seems impossible, it is impossible for us to do. This standard leaves us hopeless to find our way back to the road on our own. But Genesis 3 does not end without seeing God's heart. And here's God's heart. His, his heart is for restoring us back. His heart for restorative justice. His desire for mishpat and restoring relationships back to what is right, back to himself. And so, we see this first promise. We see that God's heart right off the bat. Right after we've screwed up. Right after we've went into the ditch. We see his heart Genesis 3, verse 15. Actually, Genesis 3, verse 15. As he's cursing death itself. As he's cursing the lies. As he's condemning the one that put us there. 
He says, the Lord God said to the serpents, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the fields. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between you, your offspring and her offspring. And here it comes. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In this is a promise. In this is a prophecy of one who will come and defeat and restore and bring us back. And it's victory through suffering. He will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It's victory through suffering by a human living in perfect design. And we know this person, this human, that has restored us through justice is the person of Jesus. And is the only reason that Paul, right after he just said, we've all sinned and fallen short, we've all gone into the ditch, he can then say, the wages of sin, of choosing our own way, our own design, is death, of course. It's relational death, it's spiritual death, it's physical death, it's all that death, but... The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, in the one who came. God himself came to be the new humanity to live out the perfect design. And through him, he lives in us, and we can live out that perfect design. We can seek righteousness. And so, I'm going to wrap this up and say this, that in order for us to fully understand the justice of God, where am I going with this? In order for us to fully understand the justice of God, we need to understand His righteousness and our unrighteousness. We need to understand where we're at in this. We need to understand that we are always going into the ditch. And we are always leaving that perfect design. And we need justice. And so, if your heart desires mishpat, if your heart desires sedekah, to be made right, to be drawn back to that original perfect design, that it needs to start with, with us coming before God and, and just praying a prayer of confession, and praying a prayer of thanksgiving for Him and who He is in His heart for us to restore us back. So I'm just going to pray if your heart is just right there, if your heart is there and just desiring to be restored and brought back, just, just in your own heart, just pray this, this prayer also. Lord Jesus, you are righteous. You are perfect. You are good. And you have designed us perfectly. 